We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Great. So we're going to kick off this morning in Psalm 23. So feel free, if you have a Bible, if you have a phone, go to Psalm 23. We're going to move in a little bit to um, to Matthew 4 as well, so um, you can bear that in mind. I want to start with this psalm this morning. We'll just read it all the way through, and then we're going to hone in on a, a particular section of it and just examine that in more detail. So let's just read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What good words those are. Amazing. I love just reading that through. Um, We're not going to look at the whole thing today, but I just wanted to read it all the way through. We're going to focus on a particular, uh, particular verse, which is this one. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's an interesting verse, this one. I think there are lots of aspects of this Psalm 23 that you can, it's quite easy to get your head around, you know, still waters, kind of walking through paths of righteousness. Um, I can kind of get my head around that. This one, not so much. It's a bit more opaque to me. Uh, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Let's just take that first bit. You prepare a table before me. What's David talking about here? David wrote the psalm, Psalm 23. It's a psalm of praise to God. You prepare a table. He's talking about a meal. He's talking about a feast, an amazing, sumptuous feast. Um, maybe just, just picture in your mind for you know, a couple of seconds the greatest meal you've ever eaten, the greatest feast you've ever eaten. Maybe think about who you were with, the setting, where were you? I think for me, probably Ken Jarvis roast lamb would have to be up there. Um, it's a pretty good one. I'm, I'm a big feaster. I like feasting. Apparently, psychologists say there are three types of eaters. There are snackers, people who kind of graze throughout the whole day. I can't understand that. I just, it just doesn't resonate with me. Um, there are people, there are emotional eaters, so people that eat according to their emotions, the ups and downs. And then there are feasters, people who just like eating a lot in one go. And, and I'm definitely a feaster. Don't know if there's any, any other feasters in the house. I will, I will refuse a snack at 4 p.m. because it's going to affect my, my meal. I don't know if that's just, you know, my mum bringing me up in that way and it's been drilled into me. But I, I just, I enjoy feasting. Jane can't understand it. She's a snacker. But, um, but I, like, I like feasting. When I think of a feast, a number of different words come to mind. Uh, rest, friendship, pleasure, Laughter, joy, peace, celebration, vulnerability, and fun. Vulnerability, you know, 
I think eating is actually quite a vulnerable thing. Like you're kind of you're not on your guard when you're eating. It's a little bit messy, you know. Um, you're vulnerable is, is kind of what, what I mean by that one. So all of these words encapsulate a feast for me. So what about the second part of our, of our verse, in the presence of, of my enemies? What, what was David getting at with that line? Well, for David, he was a military king. So for him, his enemies quite literally would have been guys with spears wanting to kill him. Um, and so I guess, you, you know, you can picture this kind of army surrounding you, presence of your enemies... And when I think about what words kind of come into my mind when I think of that sort of scenario, it's pretty much the opposite of all of these. You know, it, it's definitely not rest. It's definitely not peace. It's kind of war. Um, it's not very pleasurable. They're not my friends. They're my enemies, so not friendship. Vulnerability, well, it's kind of the opposite of vulnerability. You're kind of on your guard, aren't you? You're on the balls of your feet. There's adrenaline pumping. It's pretty much the entire opposite picture of this. And I think that's intentional. I think when David wrote this psalm, you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit, there's this contrasting image that comes to mind. And I think what it speaks of is the fact that in the presence of our enemies, God does this. He provides all of these things. He can provide all of these things. Richard reminded us this morning about how when we're in a storm, Jesus can provide peace. Penny then reminded us of, of again, when, when things seem difficult and we're full of anxiety, there is a peace that can be offered to us in the midst of it. But there's another theme underlying all of this that I just want to talk about this morning. Um, And it's a little bit different, um, but I'll just take a minute to kind of unpack it. So let's go to Matthew, Matthew 4. Matthew 4. So Jesus is in the wilderness in this passage. Uh, He's just been baptized He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, God has said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And this is the Holy Spirit. It drives him out into the wilderness for 40 days. And he's fasting. And it's a pretty barren land, a pretty barren landscape. So let, let's read it. We'll go from verse 2, Matthew 4. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So for us, you know, thinking back to, to Psalm 23 and, and that line, the presence of our enemies, being surrounded by our, our enemies isn't really going to look like being surrounded by men with spears. It's very unlikely that that's what it's going to look like for us. It's far more likely that it's going to look exactly like this passage where we, we see Jesus in the wilderness. He's surrounded by lies. He's surrounded by accusations, questions, trying to question his identity, derail his identity, try and divert him from the path that God has got for him to walk. It's the enemy the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of all believers, whispering into our ear at the crucial moment, trying to derail us, trying to derail our purpose. Saying things like, did God really speak to you? Things will just get worse from here. There's no hope for this situation. Remember what happened before. You're a failure. You'll never recover from this. Any of these sound familiar? 
I found that, it, you know, for me, it doesn't actually matter what my circumstances are, that the enemy still tries to, to help me with lies. Sometimes things will actually be okay in my life, and I'll still get these discouragements coming. I remember about a year ago, I went through a period at work where I felt like, you know, every day I was coming home and I was like, saying to Jane, I've had such a terrible day at work, you know, I made this mistake, and I could have done this thing so much better, and this person's really disappointed with me, I, you know, I've done such a bad job, how am I going to pick myself up from this, and, you know, she'd, she'd talk to me, and she'd be like, well, let's think about what's actually happened, and we go through the day, and it would turn out nothing bad had actually happened, it had been a perfectly fine, perfectly normal day, but all that had happened was I was getting these accusations, these lies, these questions, could you have done a bit better here? What does this person think of you because of that? And I come away feeling like it was a terrible day, like it was the worst day, but it wasn't. Things were actually okay. Sometimes things really are bad. Sometimes things really are difficult. You might be struggling with your finances. Maybe you're hit by illness in the family. Maybe you're filled with anxieties that are very real, very present, and things really are difficult. And in that situation, these kind of accusations and questions try to compound the situation, make it seem even worse than it actually is. The enemy doesn't care what we're going through. It could be a good day, it could be a bad day. He's still going to tempt us with these. Jesus was in a pretty uncomfortable situation. He'd not eaten for 40 days. He was hungry. Um, I think that's probably the biggest understatement in the Bible. He was hungry. He must have been starving. 40 days, 40 nights. Um, it says in Hebrews, Jesus was tempted in the exact same way that we are, yet without sin. So Jesus faced the exact same kind of, of accusation, the exact same kind of temptations that we face in our lives, yet without sin. And in Matthew 4, right here, Jesus is in the exact kind of situation that we face. But what's his response? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4. He's quoting Deuteronomy here, so he's quoting from the Old Testament. Um, it says in Psalm 23, the verse that we started with, that in the presence of our enemies, God prepares a table for us. He prepares a feast. What's Jesus' food in this situation He's not eaten any physical food. But God spread a table for him. His food in this situation is the word of God. It's this. It's the Bible. And it, it comes alive for him. God uses it to speak directly into the situation. And I can think of difficult times in my life where I felt like I've been surrounded. I felt like I've had those accusations surrounding me. And I've not run to his word I've not had the truth of Scripture to feast on, to depend on. And I felt that same barrenness, that, that kind of absence of hope, that, that feeling of there's no way out of this. But I can also think of times in my life when I felt surrounded and I've run to God's word and I've feasted and it sustained me. And that's what I want to unpack this morning is this concept of, of feasting on the word of God. And I don't think this is all that that Psalm 23 verse, verse 5 is talking about. I think there's so many layers of meaning in that verse, but I think this is a part of it, and this is what I believe God has shown to me. Mark challenged us a while back 
um, when he spoke. He said, are we feeding on what's true, on our circumstances, the, the truth that we can see around us? Or are we feeding on the truth, which is the word of God? And I felt challenged by that. And, and you know, that's, that's been in my mind as I've, I've thought about this. So the Bible. Why the Bible? Why this book? Why am I focusing on the Bible? If our food is every word that comes from the mouth of God, doesn't God speak in lots of ways? You know, we, we, we're very good at, at hearing God as a church. And, you know, we've, we've got Rachel Turner's teaching about chat and catch and all the amazing different ways that God speaks to us through our skin, through our gut feeling, through dreams and, and visions and pictures and all those kinds of things. Can't God speak in lots of ways? Why, why the Bible? Well, the reality is God can speak in any way he likes, and there are many, many ways that God speaks to us. But every word that we receive from God is rooted in this book. It's rooted in Scripture. And if we ever receive a word from God in in any other way, our duty is to go back to this book and ground it and, and see if it matches up. It's not a source of information, the Bible, but it's alive. We don't read it to learn more about God or learn more about Jesus. We read it to encounter Jesus and encounter God. It's the beginning and end point of every single word that we could receive from God. There's a thing called propagation in gardening, and it's this thing where you take um, part of one plant, like a leaf or a cutting from one plant, and you use it to grow another plant. And it's, um, it's interesting. There are many different ways you can do it. Um, a common way, as in the picture, you can stick it in some water. You get your plant, you put it in the water. And over time, over a couple of weeks, it starts to sprout roots, and it looks really freaky. You've got all these roots kind of coming out, and you can see them. And then when it's ready, you take it out of the water, and you put it in soil, and it becomes another plant, and it's amazing. Um, I used to work in a coffee shop that had tons of indoor plants. Um, and when I left, I decided to take a couple of them, with permission, um, I, I actually took, I took a couple of cuttings and I put them in water and it really works. This, this really happens and you can you know, give them away as gifts and you can kind of multiply your plants. It's really cool. It's called propagation. Um, but the interesting thing is every plant that you do this with is it, come from the soil and it needs to go back to the soil if it's going to survive. If you don't put it back in the soil, if you leave it in the water, this thing happens where it just gets used to the water and it kind of dies. And, and if you then put it in the soil, it doesn't take root and it, it can't survive. And actually, that happened to one of my plants. So one of them's still going strong, and the other one is, is sadly no longer with us. So I kind of learned the hard way with that one. Um, if someone gives me a prophecy or a picture, if I have a dream, it's a bit like I've just received a cutting of a plant. It looks great. It's going to brighten up my my life for a bit, but it came from the soil, and it needs to go back to the soil. And whenever I I receive a word, I have that in mind. I'm like, this came from the soil. This came from the word of God. And the soil, the word of God, doesn't always look the most interesting thing, but it's full of life. It's full of God's life. It's the life bed of every word that God gives us. John Piper, um, a Christian pastor, theologian, says, complaining that God is silent whilst the Bible is closed is a bit like complaining that nobody is calling you with your phone turned off. 
I don't know if any of you have had that experience where maybe your phone's run out of battery or you've left it behind somewhere or you've lost it and, and someone's trying to get hold of you and they, they, they're so desperate they call like a family member or a friend and then they hand you the phone. I can think of situations where I've left my phone somewhere or I'm just not paying attention and Jane gets a phone call and all of a sudden I'm getting this phone thrust in my face and someone's down the end, why have you got your phone switched off? I'm desperate to get hold of you. It's a bit like that with God. He loves us so much and he's going to get through to us one way or another. But actually, I think his favorite way of, of getting through to us is through his word. And he wants us to have our phone switched on. He wants us to use his word, a bit like a mobile phone, to contact us. It's his primary means of getting through to us. And I'm not saying this from a point of perfection. Um, I'm still learning to have my phone switched on, to, to read my Bible, to dwell in those words, to open that, that channel of communication, God's favorite channel of communication. But I, I am speaking from a place of knowing this to be true because I've experienced it before and I've experienced life without it and I know the difference. And that's where I want to get back to. And you know what? Jesus knew this. He was absorbed in the scriptures. They were living in him, so much so that when he was tested, when he was in the wilderness, when he was in his most difficult moments, it was the scriptures that came out of him. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The enemy tries to pick on Jesus' physical hunger. But I think Jesus is actually living this scripture out. He's not eating physical food, but he has been feasting on the word of God. And he speaks it out. He declares it. Every temptation that the enemy brings has an answer from Scripture. Throughout that passage, if you go on to read it, every single thing that the enemy says to accuse him or to tempt him has an answer directly from Scripture. God speaks his life. He speaks his truth into the situation. And if we go back to these words, I believe Jesus found all of these things in, in the Bible, all of these things in Scripture. And the amazing thing is, when we find this kind of joy, this kind of peace, this kind of rest, in the presence of our enemies, it's almost like a weapon. The enemy can't, can't stand it. It's almost like a, an audacious act of defiance. You can't intimidate me. I'm feasting. And he flees, and that's what happened in the example. So how do we follow Jesus' example in this? How do we be saturated in the word, it says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In my experience, uh, you know, of kind of the word of Christ dwelling in me, there's kind of two parts to this, and I, I just want to unpack them briefly. The first is, if I want the word of Christ to dwell in me, I kind of have to first dwell in the word. I have to find a way to get in there. And I want to start with that. I'm going to get a bit, bit practical and talk about the different ways that I engage with the Bible. I kind of thought about it, and you know, there's tons of ways that you could do this. I'm sure loads of us in this room um, have different ways that we engage with the Word, and I'm by no means an expert on this. But I just thought about it. I thought, what are the different ways that I, I engage with the Word? And I came up with four. Um, and I also want to stress here, kind of an important point, we can't get too caught up on the fact that the Bible is a book. The, the Bible comes to us, God's word comes to us in book form. But actually, that's not how it started 
You know, for Jesus, for the early church, for the disciples, it wouldn't have been a book that they could go somewhere and sit down in quietness and solitude and read. It would have been something that they spoke out loud. They would have declared it together in groups. They probably would have sung it, put it into songs. They would have memorized it. It would have been far more of a kind of auditory experience than kind of sitting in a room reading a book. And I think there's loads of advantages to it being in book form. I think it is great. But we can't get too caught up in it being in book form. And as we go through these different ways of engaging, I just want to stress that. It's not about being a kind of bookish person, or I'm, I'm into books, me, I love the Bible. It's not. It's the Word of God, and it comes to us in book form, but there's loads of different ways that we, we can engage with it. So my four ways are journeying, refreshing, taking notice, and digging. Um, I want us to imagine for a moment, that you're on a journey, that you're going through a landscape, kind of rocky landscape, a bit like this guy here. Um, and that's the kind of context that each of these kind of different ways of engaging come in. It's a little bit of a metaphor, so kind of bear with me. Um, number one is journeying. If you're on a journey, like the guy we just saw, there are times in that process where your goal is just getting from A to B. Your goal is just progressing through. Um, it's like a systematic thing where you're making ground, you're going along. And sometimes, you know, it, it's easy. Sometimes there's a grace to it. Maybe there's a light, gentle breeze, and you're going gently downhill, and there's a beautiful landscape and a sunset, and you're just strolling along, and it's nice and easy. Other times it's really hard, and it might be a rocky slope, and you're really struggling to make progress. Or it might just seem dull. The surroundings might just seem a bit bland. It's all part of journeying through and there are, there are times in our engagement with the Bible where I think our fo focus is journeying. I'm not talking about going cover to cover, like a kind of, you know, chronological way through. But I'm talking about systematically moving through the word. I think it's really important. It's where your engagement with the Bible leads to exposure to every single part of the word. The bits that are easy, the bits that are hard, the bits that maybe seem a bit boring, the bits that you just don't understand. There are sometimes you're, you're reading through the word... And it just seems beautiful. It's like, wow, this is amazing. There are other times. It, it seems like a real struggle. But I think the richness of God's word is such that we're exposed to all of it. And in my engagement with the word, I find that, you know, that experience. And I, it's not about just jumping to my favorite bits, but it's about experiencing it in its entirety. So this is journeying. There's lots of different ways that I think we can journey through the word. There are Bible in a Year apps that can help us with that and take us kind of systematically through and just expose us to all of the, all of the Bible. Um, there are other ways that we can, we can do it. You could you know, do a Bible study in a group. Um, you could choose a particular book or you could choose a particular character to focus through or a particular storyline to go through. Um, but I find this journeying to be really important, getting that exposure, the bigger picture, of the Bible. What I do, something that I'm doing at the moment, is I have three bookmarks in my Bible. I've got one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, and one in the Psalms. Um, and on any given day, I'll kind of be like, where do I want to read? Do I want to read from the New or the Old or the Psalms? And I'll just pick up there and I'll go through. And that way I find it really good because I don't feel like I'm stuck in the Old Testament or I'm, I'm stuck in the New, but I've got that exposure to the whole thing and I just pick up where I left off and I carry on reading. Um, but what I love about that, again, is that, that pruning, that exposure to the whole thing. So that's journeying. 
The second way I call refreshing. So this is where we go to passages in the Bible where we know that there is life. We know that maybe God has spoken to us before, where maybe there's not a challenge, there's not a difficulty in engaging with it. It's a bit more easy, it's a bit more beautiful. It's passages that we love, passages that are well-worn. And we go there and we just get refreshed. It's a bit like if you imagine you're on your journey and you're, you're trudging along and you see off in the distance like a, a little cottage or a house and there's smoke coming from the chimney and you know there's going to be a roaring fire in there and there's going to be a friendly face and there's going to be food and rest and comfort. There's places like that in the Bible. There's places like that for me. And the beautiful thing is they're different for all of us. For myself, I can think of Psalm 16. is a place where I've encountered God many times in the past. And if I go there, I'm just refreshed. I remember all of those times that God has encountered me. Psalm 84 is another one for me. John 3, Luke 12. These are all places that are places of refreshing for me. Because sometimes we just need to be fed. Maybe you've had a difficult week. You're tired. You're drained. You're in a difficult season. And you just need to open the Bible and be sustained. And that's great. That's okay. That's another way of engaging with the word. What do you do if you're new to the Bible and you feel like you haven't got any of these places? My advice would be steal someone else's. Just go to a friend, someone that knows the Bible better than you, and say, what are your favorite passages of Scripture? What really feeds you? Where do you just go to again and again and again? And then try them out. And you'd be surprised how quickly you can build up uh, these passages that really, really speak to you. So that's refreshing. Third way is taking notice. So again, if we imagine we're back to our, our journey, our metaphor, you're walking along. Taking notice would be when you're stopping by the roadside and you're, you're not you know, concerned with, with progressing, you're not concerned with the, the bigger picture, the bigger journey from A to B. You're just stopping and you're taking in your surroundings. You're looking around you. Maybe you notice the flowers by your side. Maybe you notice a sunset. Maybe you notice the wildlife or the animals. And you're just soaking in the detail of what you see. And it's all the things that you wouldn't notice if you were moving through at a faster pace. For me, this is taking notice. Often, when I do this, I just pick one verse or one passage, a small chunk of scripture, and I just sit with it. And I just ask God, what do you mean by this? And quite often when I start it, I'll have no idea, and I'll look at it, and it will seem opaque, and it just won't make any sense to me, a bit like the verse that we started with this morning. But over time, God will just open it up and say, oh, what about this? Have you thought about this? And it will suddenly come alive. If journeying is about the bigger picture, the overview, then taking notice is about zooming in on the tiny detail and dwelling there. And again, this can look completely different for all of us. There are many ways. For some, it might look like praying out loud to God. Others, it could be just waiting and listening. For others, you could do this through artwork. Maybe you want to paint a picture of a particular verse or a particular passage. Uh, maybe music is your thing and you want to make it into melody. You take a couple of verses and you, you think, what would it sound like if this was put to music? Maybe a psalm or something. And then you craft a melody and it brings all new layers of meaning and richness and life out of it. Maybe you're into lettering and you like writing things down. That could be another way of doing this. But it's about the stopping. It's about the taking notice, the zooming in. So that's my third way of engaging. And finally, digging. So digging, what is digging? Well, again, going to our kind of metaphor, 
our journey is when you stop on, on the side of the road and you pick up a tool, a spade, and you start lifting the earth. You start shifting things, doing work. And you might come across some treasure as you do that. When it comes to the word, some people might call this studying. Again, that can have sort of bookish connotations. I don't really want to get caught up in, in it being about you know, sitting down in an office with your, your glasses on and kind of studying the word. There's lots of different ways we can dig. But essentially, it's when you come to the word and you begin asking questions to go deeper than what's at face value. Questions like, what's the context of this passage? What style is it written in? Who's the intended audience? What would the intended audience have thought about this? What would they have understood it to mean? What did the author understand it to mean? What can I learn about this for my own life? What does this tell me about Jesus? All of these kind of questions you can ask as you're digging. And again, it's helpful when you're digging to have tools. And there are tons of tools that we can use to do this. I don't know if anyone's heard of the Bible Project. It's a wonderful uh, video series on YouTube. It's all about digging. You know, they take like a single word or a single concept and they just go deeper and, and just open up all these layers of history and meaning and richness from it. Um, maybe if you're into language, you want to go back to the Greek or the Hebrew, there's websites that help you do that and find out what it really meant in the original language. Um, again, there's kind of people that have written books on certain things. Maybe it's just going to your friend, again, someone that maybe knows a little bit more than you do about a particular passage and say, I've been reading this. I really don't understand it. I don't know what it means. Could you help me? What, what do you think it means? That's all part of digging. And again, just like with the other ways of engaging with the word, it's something we can do with people as well. There's lots of different ways that we can join with other people and look at these. I can think of passages in the, in the Bible where I've really done this. I've really dug deep into it. And God has shown me things. And, and for me, they're like treasures, and I, I carry with them with me wherever I go. These little nuggets of, of meaning that God has given me where he's really spoken to me. And I know that I wouldn't have got those had I just kind of read it and moved on. I had to kind of dig, dig deep. So these are the four that I use. And again, there could be different ones for all of us, but these are four that I use. Um, and for me, they're all important. Um, if I was to pick one that I try and do more regularly, it would be the journeying. For me, that's kind of a bit like the glue that holds everything together. I try to kind of get that onward movement through. Um, and often I'll be reading, I'll be journeying through the scripture, and I'll, I'll hit upon something, and I'll be like, wow, this is beautiful. This is such a beautiful passage. And later on in the week, when I'm feeling tired, I might go back there and, and be refreshed. Or I might be journeying, and I'll see something, I'll be like, wow, I wonder what that means. When I have a bit more time, I might go back and kind of do a bit of digging in this place. But these are the four that I use. Um, before we, we just move on to that, I think you know, it's important to, to remember that, that these things that I've just described, they're great. They are just tools for us engaging with the word. And I think it is quite timely that we have just had the, the Walk Through the Bible uh, series, which was excellent, I thought. And again, that's another way, another entry point to engaging with the word. But these are all just tools. They aren't really the key to unlocking the word for us. The key is something supernatural. It's hunger. The thing that's actually going to get me to, to dwell in this book, to dwell in this word, it's not a new way of engaging. It's not a clever idea. These all help. They can be really helpful. But it's something supernatural that God does inside of me where he produces a hunger to encounter him in his word. I've heard stories of, I think it was Todd White, um, who 
he was, he was illiterate, I think, when he, he came to Jesus, and he couldn't really read. But God produced this, this hunger inside of him. He gave him this encounter, and he was like, I've got to get in this book. I've got to understand this. And so he'd just, like, take one word and just, like, grapple with it and then move on. And, and he had this ravenous hunger for understanding the word. It's not about being clever or being someone who's into books or into studying or any of those kind of things. There's a supernatural thing. And I feel like that's what God would want to offer to us. As we think about walk through the Bible, as we take up that 40-day challenge, as we think perhaps about how we can journey, how we can be refreshed and take notice and dig, what we really need to be asking God is, God, produce a hunger. Use these things to produce a hunger and a love for your word inside of me. When I'm struggling to read the Bible, my prayer is not, God, help me understand this more. It's, God, help me love this more. Help me hunger this more. So, the word dwelling richly in us. This is the second part. I want to share a story about a season in my life where the word of God went from being something that I knew about or something that I read to something that actually dwelt in me. I'm going to call it Psalm 25, three ways. Um, the first part of the story, I've, I've told it many times before, you might recognize it. Um, there was a season in our life as a family when my brother Toby was going through a really difficult time. He was struggling with anxiety and depression. And um, on any given day, we really didn't know how things were going to go. It could be a, a good day or it could be a bad day. When it was a bad day, it was like nothing could happen. Everything ground to a halt. And all we could do was just, just pray and just ask God, God, please help. Um, and there was one particular day when we were due to go to a family wedding. And it was a, you know, quite a long drive away. And we all wake up, we start getting ready, we're in our suits and all this kind of thing, getting ready for a wedding and all the kind of stress and, and stuff that, that goes with that. And Toby's just in a terrible place. He's, he's not having a good day. And he's, it's like this cloud has just come over him. And as a family, we're just like, what can we do? God, what, what do we do in this situation? Do we cancel our plans? Do we just say, sorry, we can't come to the wedding? Do we plow on through and pretend like everything's okay when really it's not? How's that going to help Toby? It's not really going to help. We can't leave him on his own. We, just, we had no clue what to do. And so what we did was we just, we just carried on. We just you know, got dressed, got into the car, started on the road. And I remember he was sitting in the back of the car in his suit, just with his head in his hands, just, you know, um, struggling. And Peter, um, my other brother, suddenly says, we're driving down Green, Green Lane, I remember it vividly, he says, there's a guy with, psalm, with a psalm on his back. And we're like, what, a guy with a psalm on his back? And we look out the window, and sure enough, cycling past the car is a guy with a psalm printed on his back. He's wearing a black hoodie, and he's got a psalm printed on his back. It says Psalm 25, and a few of the, the verses. From, we're like, wow. And then he just cycles off and disappears. And so we're so desperate in that situation. We're like, okay, well, God, you know, willing to believe that's you. We look up Psalm 25. I think we had a Bible kicking around. We look it up, and we read it. And as we read it, we realize that contained in this psalm are promises that we can apply and declare over Toby in this situation. There's a passage, again, it's a psalm written by David. And David is going through a rough, rough season as well. And he's like, it feels like everyone's deserted me. My anxieties are overwhelming me. And it was like it was speaking. 
directly about Toby's situation. And he felt that. He felt that sense of God speaking to him. And something lifted as we declared it, as we read it, as we prayed. Something lifted in that moment. And it wasn't an easy day from there on. Um, there was still a challenge. There were still moments throughout that wedding where, you know, he, he just kind of went out the room and, you know, we had to go and, and remind him and say, but didn't God speak this on the way? And because we had something to hold on to, because we had something from his word, there was something that could sustain us in that moment. So that's number one. Number two, a couple of years after that event that I just described, I was at home in my parents' house. And I was walking down the stairs. And as I walk down the stairs, I kind of look up, and I'm looking through the window of the front door. My parents' house is number 26, Dunkeld Road. I'm looking out the window at number 25, so the house directly opposite. So I look up, number 25. I then look down at my phone, which I had in my hand, and it's the 25th of the month, and it's 25 minutes past the hour. And then I walk into the front room, and I just glance at the, uh, the digital display on the video recorder, and it says 25. So I'm walking downstairs, and I've got 25, 25, 25, 25 in the space of 20 seconds. And I'm like, what is this about? God, is this you? Is, is this you speaking? And I kind of, you know, it just sticks in my mind, and I'm carrying it with me for the rest of my day. And um, I happened to be talking to Peter later on in the day, and um, I said, I just this weird thing happened to me. I just had 25, 25, 25. And he said, what about Psalm 25? I was like, huh, what about Psalm 25? So I go home later in the day. As it happened that particular week, there were a number of things that were happening um, from different angles, kind of work-related, family-related, different kinds of things that were just filling me with a bit of anxiety, a bit of stress, a bit of weight. And I just said, okay, God, I don't know if this is you. Maybe this is you. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's Psalm 25. Maybe it's something else. But I'm going to take it in faith. And I'm going to read this psalm, and I'm going to believe that this is your word into my situation. And I made that psalm about my life there and then. And I read it, and I read it again. And I remember there were periods in that week when I'd, I'd just be walking down the road, and it was so much in me that I could just speak it out even without reading it. And I'd just be declaring aspects of that psalm. And again, in that week, in that moment, it sustained me. A couple of weeks ago, I decided to open my Bible and I open it up to Psalm 25. And as I look at that page, and I look at that, those words, it's not just like any other psalm in the Bible anymore. There's something different about that psalm for me now. It's colored with history. As I read through those words, all the memories of the ways that God has used them to sustain us, to speak to us, to declare things into our situation, flood into my mind and I'm reminded of how I've feasted there and I've been sustained. Psalm 25 is not just a normal psalm for me anymore. It's in me in a way that other psalms just aren't. It's completely different and there are other passages like that for me and I know that I'm going to carry that with me all of my life. I can go to Psalm 25 at any point and it will have that resonance. It will have that direct application. Just as we draw to a close, I want to return to this Hebrews verse. Hebrews 4 verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
I find this such a powerful, incredible verse. Sometimes I just, I wonder what it must have been like. You can't imagine, but you can wonder. To be fully God and fully man, it just blows your mind, doesn't it? To, to be fully God, but yet experience the full range of human emotion that we can experience. To be tempted in every way that we human beings can be tempted and yet not sin. It just blows my mind. And what's even more crazy is, is Jesus knew, he knew what he was here to fulfill. He knew what he was here to do. He knew his assignment. You know, there are many points in, in the Gospels where Jesus prophesies that he's going to die, that he's going to be handed over, that he's going to be betrayed. He says to his disciples, I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. I'm going to be crucified. He talks about the manner in which he's going to die. And so this is live within him. He knows where he's headed. Imagine walking the earth with the knowledge that you have that coming. You have that up ahead. There's got to be something supernatural that went on to enable Jesus to do that. I want to turn to another psalm. We're in the 20s this morning for some reason, but Psalm 22. Another psalm written by David about a thousand years, probably before Jesus. It's a psalm, if you've never read it, it, it vividly describes the kind of suffering that Jesus endured in his last moments on the cross. And I just I wonder whether for Jesus, a psalm like Psalm 22 would have resonated with him. As it speaks of one in verse 6, who is scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All my bones are out of joint. My tongue sticks to my jaws. Verse 15. A company of evildoers encircles me. Verse 16. They pierce my hands and feet. Verse 18. They divide my garments among them. I mean, how like graphic and specific do you want to get? And, and this would have been no secret to Jesus as he walked through his life. You know, he, he learned the scriptures as a young boy. Um, in those days, they, they often learned the scriptures through singing them in the schools. He may well have sung these words. And I can almost picture him, at, you know, praying to his father at one of his all-night kind of prayer times with, with his father, possibly mulling these words over, praying them. But I can also picture him at the moment that he was being crucified, as all of those Horrific events unfold around him. And again, these words coming to mind. Maybe as the nails go into his hands, they pierce my hands and feet. Or as he's mocked by the soldiers and they throw dice for his clothing, they divide my garments. Now, we can't exactly get into the mind of Jesus. But I have a hunch that at his most difficult moment, when he's on the cross, this psalm may have been his food. Why do I think that? One of the reasons is, at his most difficult moment, when he gives up his spirit, when he endures separation from his father and, and gives his life for all of humanity, 
He quotes directly from the psalm. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's lots of debate around Jesus crying out and saying this. Some people think it, you know, it was just a cry of exasperation and, and this is his humanness, this is his humanity. I don't fully buy that. And the reason is, I know that when Jesus was surrounded by his enemies in his most difficult moments, he feasted on the word of God. And I think that this psalm, in some ways, was a gift from God to his son for the most difficult moment of his life. I mean, how crazy is it that as Jesus endured the greatest pain that he he would ever have to endure, there were words in Scripture that exactly expressed how he was feeling. Exactly expressed how he was feeling. What a gift. And I think that God's heart is that we we so cherish this word. We, We dwell so closely in this word that when we go through those difficult moments where it feels like we're surrounded, where there are lies, where there are accusations... It's these words that come out of us. It's these words that sustain us. It's these words that have life for us. And as I've said, the only thing that's going to push us into the scripture in this kind of way, that it's alive in us in this kind of way, is a supernatural gift of hunger. And I feel like there's, there's an invitation for that. Um, in terms of a response today, that's kind of what I, what I have in my mind. If, if that's something that you would like, if you'd like to say, Jesus, sometimes I struggle to read this word, but I know that there's life in it. Fill me with more hunger for it, that I can feast on it in the way that Jesus did, that I can feast on it in the way that so many people have done throughout history. It says, if, if we ask, we'll receive. So I feel like there's, there's something for us there. Just like for the Simmons family with Psalm 25, and just like for Jesus in the wilderness and on the cross, I believe there's passages in this book that are designed for us for particular things that we're going through, particular seasons, particular struggles, and it's like they're a gift for us, and God's inviting us to begin that journey of discovering them. I'm done. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk, or Twitter at lifelineuk.com.